Bidenomics is essentially a, a vision for the country, an economic vision for the country, one where we're making these smart investments in America, in our education, in our workers, in our manufacturing. Biden himself said Bidenomics is another way of saying we're restoring the American dream. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. No matter what you hear, history and a simple Google search shows us that Democrats are better at the economy than Republicans. Despite the Republicans' claim that they are the party of financial responsibility, it's the Democrats who write and pass better policies and legislation to help the working people of America thrive. Since 1989, at the end of the Cold War, the U.S. has seen approximately 49 million new jobs created. 47 million of those were created under Democratic presidents. That means 96% of new jobs since the end of the Cold War have been created under Democratic leadership. The Republicans spin a good yarn, but data doesn't lie. And since globalization began, an ever-evolving and proactive Democratic Party has repeatedly been able to claim strong economic growth under its watch, while Republican leadership has overseen three consecutive recessions, the last two incredibly severe. As writer Simon Rosenberg points out, the contrast between Republican and Democratic performance is incredibly stark. And it's not a stretch to say that over the past 30 years, the GOP's economic track record has been among the worst in the history of our country. So there is no reason that Democrats should continue to lose the conversation around the economy. We don't need to be defensive or apologetic. Study after study shows that Democratic leadership equals growth and lower deficits, and progress for working families, and the ability to adapt to an ever-changing market, while Republican leadership equals recessions, higher deficits, and continued American decline. Which is why the Republican Party, in combination with right-wing donors, operatives, and the media, continue to spin this false narrative to distort the public's understanding of what is actually happening in our country. It's why we ended up talking about Bill Clinton's affair and not his economic surplus. It's why we're talking about Hunter Biden's laptop instead of Joe Biden's thriving economy. The truth of the matter is Joe Biden has been an excellent president and the country is better off financially today than it was before he took office. And that is something people should be talking about. With that in mind, today we're going to talk to White House Communications Director Ben LeBolt. Ben is a nationally recognized communications and political strategist who has served at the city, state and national level. He was the National Press Secretary for President Obama's re-election campaign, Press Secretary for Sherrard Brown's 06 campaign, Communications Director for Rahm Emanuel's 2010 mayoral campaign, and White House spokesperson for both Justice Sotomayor and Justin Kagan through the confirmation process. I'm having Ben on today to talk about the success of Bidenomics, because whether Republicans want to hear it or not, our economy is on a major upward trajectory, and as Americans, we should feel extremely excited about that. So without further ado, please welcome White House Communications Director Ben LeBolt. Welcome, Ben. Great to be here, Lee. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. I wanted to talk about the economy with someone who wasn't an economist, because most of us don't speak that language, right? You, on the other hand, are communications experts. So I thought, who better to help us understand what we're calling Bidenomics than someone whose job it is to help us understand? So we're just going to talk about the success of Biden's economic plan, how it's going, where it's going, and sort of what will come next. 
Sounds great. Look forward to it. Yes. Uh, we can have The Economist come on some other day. Some other day, Ben. Um, okay, so listen, as I understand it, Bidenomics is being used as a noun, much like Reaganomics was used as an ideal, you know, where we're going. Reaganomics was all about taking care of the people at the top, so it would trickle down to the middle and the bottom. And Bidenomics is, is built around this idea that Biden has always talked about, which is growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? That's right, Lee. That's exactly what the, the context is. You know, Reaganomics defined a lot of the political and economic discourse since the 1980s, which was the concept that if we roared folks at the top, the wealthiest in corporations, and they do well, and their profits go up and their income goes up, that the results of that will trickle down to the middle class. But it turns out that that's never been true. We've tried that policy many times. We tried it under Reagan. We tried it under Bush. We tried it under Trump. And income inequality went up, and it didn't become easier for the average person. And President Biden, throughout his long career in public service, has had a very different vision that we should actually focus on the middle class, who are the backbone of the economy, that build the economy, and start there. And if the middle class are doing well, uh, then the country will do well, and the rest of the country will do well. And so when he came into office, he had a very different vision. Um, it started with investing in America, you know, under a tax policy that rewarded corporations regardless. We, we saw corporations ship jobs overseas and our manufacturing base decimated over the past few decades. And so the focus of the president's legislation has really been on investing in America, uh, whether that's the Chips and Science Act to build semiconductors that power cars and refrigerators and all of the smart appliances in your home today, or the infrastructure law, which is funding 35,000 projects in every state across the country, or the Inflation Reduction Act, which makes sure that we're going to build the clean energy economy here in America. It's got the largest investment ever in clean energy. His policies have been focused on building plants here in America, creating jobs here in America, and making sure that if federal funds are deployed in some form or fashion, that the things that are built as a result of that are built in America. And you're seeing the results of it start to take hold. There have been 13.2 million jobs created under this administration, 800,000 manufacturing jobs after you'd seen hundreds of thousands of jobs offshore over the past a few decades under prior administrations. And so you're starting to see the impact of those policies of that investing in America. Right. I mean, listen, I want to go back a little bit to Reaganomics because people talk about it all the time. Like Reagan's kind of a golden age for conservatives. They still talk about him. And his economic policy still continues in the GOP today. And just as you were saying, and, and so people get their head around it, it's this idea that if we take care of the very richest and we make sure they have enough, the money will eventually find its way down to the rest of us. And I always think of it like a tower of champagne glasses where you pour into the top glass and all the other glasses end up being filled, when in reality, our economy is more like that top class just keeps getting bigger and taking in more and more champagne, while the other glasses underneath that are practically empty and they're cracking under the weight of that glass at the top. So we're 40 years past Reaganomics now, and we can see, as you were saying, using statistics that it only served to make the rich richer and the poor poorer, and it's almost destroyed the middle class. And when we think about MAGA and make America great again, and this concept of this golden age in America, you know, when a certain group of people thought it was perfect, it's usually the 1950s and 60s. And that was when we had a very thriving middle class. So it's surprising that we don't keep going back to like, how do we make the middle class 
thrive again, which is what Bidenomics is so wonderful for, right? Because that is how we're thinking again, which is the exact great that that entire party has been considering. That's exactly right. And it speaks to the second pillar of Bidenomics, which is empowering workers. Right. You know, there's a really tight labor market right now. We've seen uh, the lowest unemployment, the longest stretch under 4% in 50 years uh, in this country. We've seen income inequality go down, record low unemployment, particularly for um, for African-Americans, for Latinos. The workers who've seen their wages increase the most under this administration have been workers that are, are lower on the pay scale. We're seeing more unionization than we've seen in the past. And so you're seeing empowered workers and policies center around empowered workers. And that means employers have to compete for them. Um, you have to compete for talent today. And it's one of the reasons you're seeing wages outpace inflation. You know, take-home wages, purchasing power is up under this administration. And that means a lot to the average person. That means after all their bills are paid at the end of the month, that they still have some discretionary funds left over to spend, or they can put more money away to send for their kids to pursue higher education, um, for example, or just put in a rainy day fund. And so uh, that's meant a lot economically to the average American. It's one of the reasons that we've seen recent projections saying that uh, the average consumer across the country expects their economic situation to be even better next year. Look, we came out of a devastating pandemic that had a big impact on the global economy. And then we saw President Putin in Russia launch a war of aggression in Ukraine, which had an impact on energy prices. But compare our recovery here in the United States to those of our peer nations around the world. You've seen the fastest and strongest and most robust recovery here in the United States. And you've seen inflation come down two thirds from where it peaked last summer. And so everybody was impacted by inflation and and the cost of the pandemic and that war globally. Uh, But because of the policies the president has pursued here in the U.S., you're seeing workers do well, you're seeing costs come down. Bidenomics is essentially a a vision for the country, an economic vision for the country, one where we're making these smart investments in America, in our education, in our workers, in our manufacturing. Biden himself said Bidenomics is another way of saying we're restoring the American dream, right? Like we're, uh, we're saying that everyone who's willing to work hard should be able to get a good job, should be able to take care of themselves, should be able to take care of their family. And that shouldn't be really hard for people to understand. And yet it feels a little groundbreaking to have an administration be so clear that their goal is the collective good of the American people and not just the collective good of their donors. Because it's in contrast, again, to Reaganomics, which was making sure we could do stock buybacks, things like that, what's best for the shareholder, what's best for the people at the top. This is a completely different vision. And I think it's a vision people should be able to get their heads around, right? At the end of the day, you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene pointing out the best parts of it, like it's a bad thing, right? She was out there publicly saying, Biden is making the largest public investment investment in social infrastructure and environmental programs. And he's trying to finish what FDR started and LBJ, you know, expanded on programs to address education and medical care and urban problems and rural problems and transportation and Medicare and Medicaid and labor unions. And these are all things he's working on. And I know she didn't mean to make a campaign ad for him, but my God, she really did, right? The tone deafness of thinking that regular Americans, Republican Americans even, don't need or want any of those things like transportation or helping rural poverty or Medicaid or labor unions. The truth of the matter is 
that's insane. You know, Republicans are not thinking or writing policies for regular people. And what they keep proposing for our economy, it just doesn't work. And we know that because we've tried it. So what Biden is doing is working and will only continue to work and get better if we keep his administration in power and give him the power of, you know, Congress to help him along on his way. And, you know, the funny thing is Republicans started out opposing these policies. They voted <laughs> against them. Um, but now that they've been successful, you're seeing some of them actually show up to ribbon cuttings in their district. And of course, they just don't name the president or name the bill that they voted against. And they're actually, you know, ironically taking credit for some of this. And so, you know, you heard some critiques when these policies were being debated. For example, they said, if the government makes an investment in a particular sector like semiconductors, then the private sector will never follow. Well, the private sector actually followed because they viewed that as a signal. This was an industry that we were committed to building in this country that would not be shipped overseas. And you've seen $500 billion in private sector investment follow the public sector investment from the president's bills. And so you're seeing a number of states across the country have the largest private sector investment that they'd ever seen before you know, with this return to manufacturing in their state. So it's had a really significant impact, certainly the infrastructure bill, you know, which a handful of Republicans voted for, but many voted against now as airports are being modernized in their districts and roads and bridges are being built. All 50 states are being impacted. You're seeing some of these same Republicans come try to take credit for the president's policies. And so, you know, we say we always welcome converts. There was a children's story a long time ago, Ben, that was about Chicken Little. And she was like, who will help me, you know, reap the wheat? And everyone was like, not me. And she's like, who will help me make the flour? They're like, not me. And then by the time she got the bread done, they were all like, I'll help you eat it. You know, like it's the same <laughs> thing, right? It just reminds me of like a child's parable, this behavior, like we're not going to vote for it, but as soon as it's good, we'll be there smiling at the ribbon cutting. And I find that kind of exhausting, but no matter how you cut it, the point is for the American people. Bidenomics is a success and it's a success for the Democrats. And I know you've given a bunch of these stats, but I just want to kind of put them, I want to lay them out for people so they can hear it all at one time. Do you mind if I just throw some stats that you already know at you, but so my audience can hear it all together? Sounds great. Okay, good. So under Joe Biden, in this Bidenomics plan, we have created over 13 million jobs. That's more jobs in 28 months than any president has created in a four-year term. That's seven times as many jobs as we created in 16 years of the last three Republican presidencies combined. Those numbers go hand in hand with the highest level of job satisfaction in modern history. Under Biden, we had the best COVID recovery in the G7. Our GDP growth is three times the rate it was under Trump. And last time I checked, the Fed has a GDP at around 2.1%. Does that sound right, Ben? That's right. Yeah, which is the best GDP, so we all know, of all of our peer nations. And there doesn't seem to be a recession on the horizon, which is what we heard about over and over again. So we've been having all this scaremongering about recessions, but it doesn't appear like that's on the horizon. So under Biden, and especially after passing the Inflation Reduction Act, which I would like to remind people that almost all of the Republicans voted against, inflation is at a two-year low, and we are doing better than every other Western nation in the world, with our inflation rate is close to 2% at this point. We have the lowest unemployment in peacetime history, lowest poverty, lowest uninsured rate. We have elevated wage gains, which is real earnings that were up from last year. And real wages are back in what's considered for economists, the positive category. And 
Under Joe Biden, we've seen this major influx of new small businesses. The Democrats are actively out here trying to give workers and entrepreneurs the tools and opportunities they need to be economically successful. So unless you live in opposite land or you are lying, you can't see these numbers and these statistics and not recognize that the Biden administration has been excellent for our economy. So if you hear anyone telling you different, know that they are incorrect and or trying to deceive you. Well, you laid it out best. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> that's what the show's all about. But right. just to put it into perspective, as you said, a lot of economists predicted recession, recession, recession over the past year. It never arrived. Bidenomics has had a significant impact. And even some of the folks that were gloomy in their forecasts have changed projections. So for example, you know, Morgan Stanley had projected that the economy would grow, GDP, by 0.5% this year. They said as a result of Bidenomics, in the first half of the year, they're raising up their projection to 1.9% growth. And so they've seen these public investments trigger the opening of, of factories and plants and businesses across the country. Just today, we heard that last year was one of the top two years ever for small business starts. You had more yeah, businesses right. created, the second most ever, and that only outrigs 2021. So we've actually seen 2021, 2022, and the projections from 2023, record business starts. And so the president likes to describe the start of a business as an act of hope. Yeah. Um, you know, small businesses are really the engine of job creation in this country, much more than big business. And so you're seeing both small and large businesses start and create jobs and grow and, and thrive in this economy. And so you're seeing it really at all levels. Yeah. And it's also just like things that help our everyday life. Like this administration also lowered prescription drug costs, right? Including capping insulin at $35 for seniors. They helped lower our energy bills. There's domestic oil production is on track to set records in 2023. And even though that personally upsets me because I want to get the heck out of fossil fuels, we're also making these like giant gains with non-carbon-based energy. So that means our gas prices are down and even with OPEC raising their prices, right? We're out here building bridges and tunnels and rebuilding America's infrastructure and bringing broadband to rural communities and building all these manufacturing plants across America. So it's like very hopeful stuff. And these are real projects that are happening around the country because Joe Biden and the Democrats delivered when Republicans year after year and administration after administration did not. You know, we've heard about Infrastructure Week for literally 40 years and Joe Biden came in and delivered it. And I believe he deserves the credit for that. We have to stop presenting these two parties as the same because they're not the same. But then I would say to you, here's the thing. Even though the facts all say that, right? All these amazing statistics are out there. We can see Bidenomics is absolutely working. That doesn't mean it's worked, right? That it's all done. It means that we are a country in progress. Absolutely nothing changes overnight, but people really need to recognize how far we've come since Biden took office. And look, I don't work for you guys, right? So I am uh, critical when I need to be critical, but there's no question that what the Biden administration has done for our economy is a huge deal. And honestly, I can't believe how little we hear about that from our mainstream media, because it's a disservice to the people. And honestly, I wish more people knew the truth. Well, a lot of what gets written out of the story is that we're just coming out of a once in a century pandemic. 
that had a massive impact on the global economy. That's one piece. The second piece is the Trump administration's economic policy <laughs> was really just to pass a tax cut for the wealthiest in corporations based on that old trickle-down principle that cost trillions of dollars that, by the way, the average taxpayer had to pay for, and that created 40% of the national debt. And so all of that is, is left out of the story. And the president came into office with a different set of policies that made sure that we had the strongest recovery on record, that we recovered from the pandemic quicker than we'd covered from such catastrophic financial crises in the past, and that the average American was in the best position they could be in the marketplace to make sure that they were getting back to work, they were having their costs lower, they were having rent relief and everything that they needed coming out of the pandemic. And we're now in a strong position. You're starting to see the dividends of that take hold. You know, inflation has come down from its peak. It's it's come down two thirds since last summer. You're starting to see the policies be implemented. And so, you know, instead of costing $100 a month, like you said, insulin is now capped at $35 and there's an annual cap on prescription drugs. And you're seeing the deployment of funds that are building infrastructure projects and the largest investment in clean energy ever. 80 projects have now gotten off the ground, but many more will. We've, we've been traveling the country to old manufacturing bases where the plant had closed and the plant is now being converted to produce clean energy instead of whatever it used to produce. And so whether that's you know hydrogen coming out of uh, Minnesota or uh, battery plants that were, will power the transition to electric vehicles. On Thursday, the president was in Philadelphia looking at a ship being built to, to install offshore wind turbines, the first ones that will go off the coast of New Jersey. You know, when he talks about clean energy, he really sees this not only as a transition away from fossil fuels, but into an investment into a new workforce um, that's being trained to build a whole new economy in the U.S. that will have um, positive economic dividends and, and lower energy costs, too. So, you know, there there is a transformation that's happening underway. It's happened in the shadow of a pandemic that the president deployed every tool to make sure we could recover as quickly and strongly as possible from. Uh, but he did come into office facing a very significant crisis, and that's too often forgotten in the coverage. Yeah, absolutely. I think people also forget when they talk about the debt that 70% of it comes from previous presidents, right? 28% to 40% can be almost said to be Donald Trump's alone. Um, so we need to be really clear that if the idea that Joe Biden is the cause of the debt isn't based in fact. If you want the debt to go down, you have to start with getting annual deficits down. And in the last 40 years, the only party that has ever taken the deficit down is the Democrats. And I think we also need to remember that taking on debt for things like providing broadband or infrastructure or technology or research or building new plants, providing better education or healthcare or childcare, things that improve the lives of your people is actually an investment. And investments provide yields for the future in a way that giving a giant tax cut to the ultra-rich does not. So that's actually good debt. But if we think about what Biden has actually added, he's added 2% to the debt. So anytime people get their, their brains crazy about debt and deficits, and you have to know that Democrats do much better getting the deficit down. They've done much better getting the debt down. And really, we're making investments. So the, the debt we're taking on are good investments that will produce yields in the future. I think the problem comes down to the fact that at the end of the day, these statistics I'm saying, the figures, they mean very little to most of us, right? The question is, how do we feel about something? 
the majority of Americans, myself included, don't really understand interest rates. We don't really understand unemployment numbers or cyclical market behaviors. You know, that's not how we talk. That's not how we think. There are lots of people across America who just feel generally negative about the economy. They don't care that some chart says wages are higher than they've ever been. They don't feel like they personally have enough money. For them, things are too expensive. They can't afford a home or their rent prices are too high. They see their local public school doesn't have enough funding. There's lots of people who might want to work, but can't afford childcare or pre-K. Lots of people who want to improve their education, but college is out of reach. And a lot of our parents are getting older. And there's a fair amount of us who don't know how we're going to manage with that financially. I personally feel all of those things myself. So I understand why people might just be like, don't tell me things are really good. It doesn't feel good to me. What is the administration, uh, what's their answer to that or their response to that kind of feeling? Because I'm sure they understand it. I am so pleased that Thrive Cosmetics sponsors this show. If you don't know Thrive Cosmetics, they're an incredible beauty and skincare line made with clean, skin-loving ingredients with no parabens, sulfates, or phthalates. They're 100% vegan and cruelty-free, so you know no animals were harmed in the making of it. But they also put the word cause in their name for a reason, because every purchase you make supports organizations that help our communities thrive. These are fantastic products. I talk about their Liquid Lash Extension Mascara all the time, but I have to because it's that good. It's literally my go-to mascara, and that's really saying something because I have blonde eyelashes, and if I don't wear mascara, I can look eyeless. So I take mascara very seriously. Plus, it's hot this summer, and if I wear anything other than Thrive Mascara, it always ends up all over my face. The Liquid Lash Extension Mascara mimics the look of lash extensions without damaging your lashes. It supports longer, healthier lashes over time, and it cleans like a dream. You don't need soap, let alone makeup remover to get it off. Because it's a tubing mascara, you just splash it with warm water and it falls right off. And with Thrive's Bigger Than Beauty mission, for every product purchased, Thrive donates to one of their over 300 giving partners across the country to do things like battle domestic abuse, end homelessness, or fight cancer. But you have to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash politicsgirl. That's Thrive Cosmetics spelled C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash politics girl for 20% off your first order. And make that discount count. Bundle that mascara with something like the Brilliant Eye Brightener or Hydrating Lip Tint or Waterproof Eyeliner, which is super helpful in the summer. There's literally no shortage of amazing products at Thrive. Check it out at thrivecosmetics.com. Well, I've been talking about Miracle Made Sheets a lot these days, and you guys have been buying them and then telling me how much you like them. And I love that. Working with Miracle Made, I've learned a lot about how much bacteria our sheets actually have on them, which is often why we get acne or allergies or a stuffy nose from our bed. And to be honest, having that information kind of grossed me out, but knowing that there are products like Miracle Made that offer whole lines of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding started to make a lot of sense to me. Miracle Made bed sheets use silver-infused fabrics that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, so they stay cleaner three times longer than regular sheets. They're also super comfy, soft, and luxurious without the high price of those other soft and luxurious sheets. So stop sleeping with bacteria and sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40% off. And if you use our promo code politicsgirl at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a great deal. And Miracle is so confident you'll love their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. 
So upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your three-piece towel set and save over 40% off at checkout. That's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl. When Rocket Money approached us as a sponsor, I had to look up what it was. And when I discovered it was a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place, I was like, yep, I need that. As I've said before, other than something that would help me wrangle my inbox, an app that helps find the subscriptions I'd forgotten about and cancels them for me is right at the top of my list. Do you know statistics show that over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Chances are you're one of them. Like that Stars app you signed up for just to watch one show or that free gaming trial you never actually used. Do you know how much those forgotten subscriptions cost? Most Americans think they spend about $80 a month on subscriptions when it's actually closer to 200. If you don't know exactly how much money you're spending on subscriptions every month, you probably need Rocket Money. So stop throwing your money away and join the over 3 million people who have used Rocket Money with the average person saving up to $720 a year. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash politicsgirl. That's rocketmoney.com slash politicsgirl. Rocket Money will quickly and easily find your subscriptions. And if you don't want to pay for them anymore, you just hit cancel. It's that easy. rocketmoney.com slash politicsgirl. Do you remember reading Shel Silverstein books as a kid? Like A Light in the Attic and Where the Sidewalk Ends? I can. I loved them. I still own them. I read them to my son. I can quote, if not recite, a lot of those poems. There was just something about the simplicity, the humor, even the darkness that really appealed to me. That's why I was so excited when Chris Harris published My Head Has a Bellyache, which is essentially a Shel Silverstein book for the new era. Now, full transparency, I know Chris Harris. He's about the nicest guy you're ever gonna meet. A great dad, awesome husband, very successful in television, but it's children's books that he's truly passionate about. His new book, My Head Has a Bellyache, is the type of book no one writes anymore, but they really should. It's charming and mischievous and thoughtful and something I absolutely recommend you go and check out for yourself. There's a Valentine poem for someone you don't care about. There's a new who's on first called The Corrector, where someone corrects the grammar of the poem as it goes along. I think my favorite poem is one called The Okay House, where you think your house is just okay, but when you're moving out, you realize that as a house, it might be just okay, but as a home, it was perfect. The whole book is just filled with love and innocence and poignancy, and of course, a lot of humor. There are so many little treats and Easter eggs as you go along. The illustrations are wonderful, but they're like a little treasure hunt of their own. Even the page numbers are fun. So do yourself a favor and go to your local bookstore or that big one online and pick up My Head Has a Bellyache. It's nice to support good things and good people at a time where we don't have enough of either. My Head Has a Bellyache is just one of those things. Buy it for yourself or as a gift for a child or a family member in your life. My Head Has a Bellyache by Chris Harris. Well, we, we certainly saw that that sentiment, you know, peak during the pandemic. And, you know, there was significant inflation as a result of, of the pandemic that happened globally mm -hmm. um, and as a result of Putin's war in Russia that had a significant impact on, on energy prices. And the president certainly understands that. And that's why he centered his policies on bringing costs down that you're now seeing to take hold. Historically, the most important metric for the average person has been their purchasing power, right. you know, their take-home pay after uh, inflation. And we've seen wages now outpace inflation. You know, you've seen wage gains under this administration. So that is something the average person sees. 
and feels, and it's why that they're describing their personal economic situation in, in positive terms now. And I think that will continue as we get further out from the pandemic, as you're seeing the impact of more of these policies, whether it's you know subsidies to bring your energy costs down, uh, legislation that's bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. You, the president centered his policies on lowering costs for the average person, which we know yeah. is one of the top concerns for Americans across the country. And when Republicans structure their legislation, it's always to provide tax relief to the wealthiest and, <laughs> and to corporations. So you can see the difference in, in priorities there. Uh, but look, I think these numbers are moving over time. We were in the midst of a significant financial crisis that had a major impact on, on the average American. And that's why the president passed things like the American Rescue Plan um, to help the worker, the renter, the small business recover from the pandemic. And now you're seeing us get to a place where the economy is more sustainable on its own and uh, the average worker uh, is making more money, is more empowered, and their wages are outpacing inflation. Yeah. I mean, listen, for me, I get those sentiments from people that are like, I don't know, I I hear what you're saying, but I just feel like I, I just don't feel good about it. And you're like, I get that, man. Like overall, the country might be in an upward trajectory. We can say all the statistics say everything is going well. And I think we really need to celebrate that. But I recognize for people who are listening that there's a lot of us who aren't where we want to be. So what I want you to think about is what are the solutions, right? How do we get us to where we want to be? What can be done? Who is thinking about that? And I know that the Democratic Party is thinking about that. They tried to pass a higher federal minimum wage, but the Republicans and Christian Cinema shot it down. I know that the Democrats tried to pass Build Back Better, which had free two-year college, free universal pre-K, higher wages for home health care workers, but the Republicans shot it down. The Democratic House members have written a bill to stop private companies from buying up all of our single family housing to help us regular people get back into the housing market. And that is clearly something that is gonna be essential to our future, but only one party is proposing it, right? So if you wanna talk about things that are essential to our future nation, then we wanna look at things like environmental protections that the Democrats included in the Inflation Reduction Act, which are essential for our water, our air, the future of our planet, and they passed that again, with no help from the Republicans. You were talking earlier about the CHIPS Act, right? Which the Democrats passed with almost universal opposition from the other party, but has launched what now world economists are calling a manufacturing super cycle in America, tripling manufacturing and construction across the country, building facilities that not only employ construction workers right now, but will create thousands of permanent high wage jobs when those factories open, right? We've already talked about these projects that are happening under the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, which is creating jobs, obviously, but also fixing this crumbling infrastructure. It's bringing high-speed broadband, which we all need in a first-world country. And all of this was done in the first two years of Biden's presidency, thanks to his, his leadership and a democratically controlled Congress. And these pieces of legislation will only continue to bring Americans gains, despite the Republican-controlled House doing everything they can to undermine it, right? So I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that when people look at the economy or the state of the country and feel bad about it, I want them to say, okay, but look what the Democrats are doing. 
Look what they want to do. Look what they keep voting to do. Like that is great stuff. And if you don't believe me, go and look at the alternative, not from the perspective of cable news or pundits, but from the perspective of the citizens who live in this country looking for actual representation, right? Yes, democratic policies might be a work in progress, but if you choose the alternative, Republican policies, which by the way, don't exist, all that progress stops. And I think that's what people need to keep in mind. Who is actually working for me? Who is proposing solutions? Who is actually voting for things that would help me? And time and time again, the answer is the Democrats. And I want people to feel that. And I want them to tell their friends that and their family that when they hear, oh, the inflation is bad, so it's Biden's fault. I want them to say, actually, no. Yeah, and and when you know when the president talks about finishing the job, this is right. what he's talking about, yes. right? Especially, you know, if we can win a Democratic Congress again, and if he can have a Democratic Congress to work with, you know, putting on the table things like reducing the cost of childcare and having a childcare tax credit again, making sure that we incentivized home care, um, that we've got enough workers to take care of uh, sick parents, to help right. with sick children, to help the parent who has to deal with those things getting stretched from both ends. The president has made student debt relief a big priority. That's, you know, more people, the president will tell you, comes up and talks to him about student debt relief than any other issue and the burden that many people carry for decades. And that was an issue that uh, he took on in a substantial way, made sure that the average borrower could have um, a little bit more breathing room and some of that that relief. There are a lot of myths about there who benefited, um, but the average person was making $75,000 a year or less and just burdened by this significant debt load. And so that's an area where the president took it on. You know, it wasn't just young people, it was people all the way into their 40s that were paying off uh, these student loans. It's the person getting through their their day and their daily life that's always been the centerpiece for the president. So as he talks about finishing the job and what's next, it's really a lot of these areas of easing the cost of living for the average person that he's focused on. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, although he's been in politics his whole life, I would say he feels like an average person. He knows what it's like to ride the train, to live a life, to have trauma, to go through life. He hasn't just lived like a privileged Washington insider his whole life. I really feel like he sees the people because he is the people, right? And then you have to consider the alternative. You said just now, if we can win a Democratic Congress and win in 2024, he wants to finish the job, right? And I think people have to say, okay, what's the alternative, right? What has the Republican-controlled House done since they've been in power? They were elected in the midterms. What have they done, right? Okay, they passed a bill to stop funding the IRS so it can afford to go after their rich donors and the tax cheats. They almost crashed the world economy by refusing to raise the debt ceiling. They had a catfight on the floor for leadership. They had a catfight on the floor to see which representative could file articles of impeachment against Biden for some yet-to-be-determined reason. They've been spending endless taxpayer dollars on witch hunt congressional hearings where they've yet to prove a single thing and keep losing their whistleblowers. And now they're holding up promotions of key military personnel and putting our national security at risk. So at the end of the day, Republicans are going to do everything they can to keep the economy in bad shape because they don't really care how it affects the American people. They care how it affects the people's perception of the government that Joe Biden is the head of. What they care about are poll numbers and getting back into power. And that should make people angry because 
Democrats, independents, Republicans alike, that's not governing. That is sabotaging the government and sabotaging the American people to regain personal power. And I think people should feel that. They should know what's happening and they should recognize what one party is trying to do and what the other party is trying to stop. And the Republican agenda you saw play out during the debt ceiling talks and, and, and the talks around uh, the budget agreement they put on the table 22% draconian cuts to all of the programs that benefit the average person, um, and they were trying to repeal them. They're trying to repeal all of the clean energy provisions, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is creating jobs in their own state. And the economic policy that they keep putting back on the table that they divert all this funding to is, again, a tax cut for the wealthiest and for corporations that, as we've talked about, has never benefited the average person. So they've basically got one economic idea. It's been tried over the course of decades. It never worked. They want to put it back on the table. And to do so, they would cut funding for all of these critical programs for people. And by the way, they even want to repeal the provision that would cap the cost of prescription drugs. And so the average person does not benefit from their economic policies. It's completely tilted towards the wealthiest and corporations. Yeah. Keep picturing that giant, giant champagne glass at the top of the thing, right? We need to be really clear also what the Republicans are planning. You're telling us now, but House Republicans, they actually passed a bill in March that would drastically cut people off from a wide range of programs that are essential to Americans' financial security. So their plan, as you were mentioning some of the things, it would really reduce spending on healthcare, on food assistance, on farm subsidies, on military retirement, on veteran health, education, law enforcement, housing, foreign affairs, anti-poverty programs. But as you were mentioning, to be very clear, none of their cuts would touch the Trump tax cuts for the ultra-rich. And if they could, they would like to expand those. There's um, an old expression uh, that says, show me your budget and I'll show you my priorities. And ultimately, I think budgets uh, reflect a lawmaker's values. And House Republicans seem dead set on destroying the country's economic recovery and hurting working families because they think it serves them politically and it definitely serves their donors financially. Ironically, the plans that they keep trying to put into place end up affecting most of their own voters more because there are more impoverished people who use these programs in red states than there are blue states. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's they're not serving their own constituents at all. You know, all the programs you've talked about them wanting to make massive cuts to would impact the senior who's seen the, the cost of prescription drugs lowered for them under this president would impact the veteran who the president has fully funded their access to health care and made sure that the system expedites uh, their claims. Uh, would impact the student whose debt relief they want to take away, even though, by the way, they you know may have applied for one of those PPP loans during the pandemic for their own businesses to the cost of millions of dollars. But you know, twenty thousand dollars of debt relief for the average student is too much for them. They don't want to fund a penny of it. So you can see where their priorities lie. Honestly, people need to understand that if the Republicans' budget comes to pass. Americans would do so poorly, right? They would lose access to key programs that they need to function in this country. They're not going to make the economy better. They are literally making it worse and they have made it worse statistically for the past 40 years. I mean, even in a booming economy, a lot of people in America need assistance and a lot of people in America are using it. 
And like we said before, assistance is generally larger in red states than blue states, and Republican lawmakers seem intent on hurting their own constituents because they know they won't understand, and they will ultimately end up blaming the president. And of course, that's the paradox of Bidenomics itself, right? That Democrats are doing it, but ultimately, Bidenomics will help red states more than it helps blue ones. So it's red states, not blue ones, that are seeing the biggest income gains under this presidency, which is also why Republican members of Congress are doing what you said before. They're out here taking credit for things they voted against or things that they didn't want to fund. They say no to federal money to help expand things like Medicare. So they keep hurting people and they keep them desperate so they can blame it on the Democrats um, when it's actually them choosing to deny the people the help. And I want to ask you, and maybe you can't answer this, but do you think that the Democrats could afford to be a little more cheeky on stuff like this, to play a little more hardball, to at least point out that these good things are happening in their states, that they wouldn't be happening without them? Is there a way to do that to make sure that red states not only get what they need, because Biden is acting as a president for all Americans, not just the ones who voted for him, but also to point out that people wouldn't be getting these things without him. You know, Trump was like, I'm signing all the checks when the money was going out, right? I want people to understand that the bridge that's being built in their town or the tunnel that's being fixed or the manufacturing plant that's coming because of the CHIPS Act, their own representatives would have left them high and dry. Do you think that we should be tooting our own horn just a little bit more? Well, look, I'm, I'm the communications director, <laughs> so I definitely think so. Uh, you, had a biased, yeah. you had a biased jury on, on this one. Um, look, I think that's it. part of what the Bidenomics push is about, right? People are hearing about a road or a bridge being built in their community. They're seeing the cost of insulin capped at $35, but uh, they're busy in their daily life. They may not be watching the morning and evening news, and so they're not necessarily making a connection back to the president's policies or the policies that Democrats passed through Congress these past couple of years. And so that's why there's a rule in marketing called the rule of seven. You have to hear something seven times to really remember it and act upon it. And so we may sound a little repetitive in, in our echo chamber, but we're going to be holding events around the country to make sure that people are drawing a link between what's happening in their communities, the job gains, the factories that are being built, the costs that are coming down, the roads and bridges, and the policies that President Biden and Democrats got through Congress these past couple of years. And so that's why you've got the Bidenomics branding around it. You'll hear a lot about investing in America and the president's commitments to doing that in the context of, of the bills that have been passed. Um, and we'll keep saying it until we're blue in the face, but that's what it takes you know, to break through with the average person who's busy just going about their daily life and maybe not tuned into politics. Yeah, let's love seven them, you know? It's clear that Biden is totally aware of how much suffering is going on around the country, especially in red states. And he wants to take care of the people, no matter where they are, no matter who they voted for. And I think we need to remind people of that over and over again. I mean, the bottom line is, if we're looking at this as a, this is an episode about Bidenomics, right? The deficit has gone down every year under Biden. And as a reminder to people listening, it went up every year under Trump. We've made incredible investments in the future prosperity of America with things like infrastructure and jobs and the CHIPS Act and climate change regulations and improvement on healthcare. And according to financial experts, which I am not one of, but they look at the data for a living. And over the last 30 years, it's democratic policies over and over again that have repeatedly been able to make globalization work for the American people, while GOP policies repeatedly fail to deliver. We've done better than every other peer nation post-pandemic. And the GOP policies, when they do have policies like 
cutting taxes for the ultra rich and stock buybacks and corporate price gouging and allowing companies to make more money shipping jobs overseas, those things only hurt Americans. So I don't think we can be denying any longer that what Biden has been doing since he took office has made the country better. I mean, even now with the GOP fighting his agenda every step of the way, Biden is still making positive steps for the American people, for the economy. And I think we have to remember that given the chance, the Republicans plan to stop all those efforts. They will not do this if they get back into power. So we can't allow that to happen, right? Like it's just, we want people to succeed. We want to continue this upward trajectory. We want to keep going. And I don't want people to fall into the trap of blaming the president for their economic woes when it's his party and his party alone that keeps trying to fix it. So if anything, I think Biden's earned four more years, but I do think we need to remind people why that is because his agenda supports the American people while the alternative really supports the American donor. Well, I can't, um, I can't get into all the campaign details since what? I'm at my perch uh, here, here at the White House. No, you got to do that somewhere that my to, to folks on the campaign. But I will say <laughs> um, what the president has put forward, uh, what he would continue to do, things like lowering the cost of, of child care, continuing on the student debt relief uh, trajectory, defending individual rights and liberties and making sure that, you know, if you're a, a woman who wants to make your own health care decisions or a parent who believes you should decide what books your children have access to, not um, an ideological governor. If you believe in uh, rights for LGBTQ people, if you believe that workers uh, in the middle class should be at the center of our economic policies in this country instead of, as you talked about, the the one champagne glass approach to you know rewarding the wealthiest in corporations and expecting everyone else will will do well. That's what the president wakes up uh, every single day focused on. Yeah, we all deserve a glass of champagne to toast our economy, every single one of us. And I'm really so thrilled that we have a president that gets that. And I think we have to remember that if you hear anything other than the economy is doing well, uh, whether that's about some laptop or about any general ridiculousness like the new war on Barbie, it's because we're doing so well that we're talking about those things that don't actually matter. You know, I, I just think we've exceeded expectations here. And I think that although you can't get into anything uh, that has to do with the campaign, I want people that are listening to remember that it's the Democrats that handle the economy better than the Republicans. And you only have to look over the past 40 years to notice that, that in this new sort of post-Cold War era, it's the Democrats who have been able to evolve and change to make things work instead of being reactionary and changing. But sadly, the modern GOP doesn't seem to have any answers for many of the most important changes that America faces. And they're choosing to regress us rather than progress us, which is why we're talking about women having access to their own bodies now in 2023, why we're talking about book banning in 2023. It's distressing and sad and dangerous, but we have to, if we want to move forward, which is the only way to go, you can only evolve forward, then we have to keep this administration in power and allow them to finish the job. I want to thank you for joining us today, Ben. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with before you go? Thank you, Lee. It was a great conversation and uh, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, I'll leave you with the, the theme of Bidenomics, which is empowering workers, lowering costs, and investing in America. Those are the three pillars. If you remember anything, remember those three. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. 
So that was White House Communications Director Ben LeBolt reminding us that if we want to remember three things Bidenomics is doing for the economy, it's empowering our workers, lowering our costs, and investing in America. If I wanted you to remember one thing, it would be that no matter how you feel about the economy right now, one party is actively trying to make it better and one party is actively working to stop them. America might not be exactly where we want it, but under the Democrats, we're moving forward while the alternative would take us back. The champagne glass at the top cannot get any bigger. We all deserve a taste of that success. I want to thank Ben for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.